Try this with me real quick. Go back and watch the original episode of the Drogan Experience podcast. It opens up with 10 minutes of Rogan and Brian Redband struggling like two dads trying to use a computer for the very first time. And all the while animated low res noise obscures your view of that crisp 240p video feed. Now remember, you are watching the beginnings of that very same show that just sold to Spotify for a reported $100 million talk about crazy. But of course, his podcast has evolved into a phenomenon that can attract the kinds of guests that many mainstream television shows would frankly be lucky to get. Still, as a UFC commentator and fan, his door has always been open to MMA fighters and personalities. And over the years, there have been some incredibly shocking moments with fighters and some of the sport's most prolific figures telling us things that we never thought we would ever hear. Hey, what's up guys? Jason from MMA on Point here, and I am beyond excited to announce our sponsor for today's video. It is Caveman Coffee. They're offering 25% off to anybody who goes to their website, cavemancoffeecode.com, and uses the promo code MMA on Point, and just like that, you get 25% off. With that being said, more on them later. Let's jump right into the video. These are the 10 most revealing MMA moments on the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast. Number 10, Trevor Whitman reveals the big issue with UFC gloves. This man is mostly well known for his top-level coaching ability alongside names like Rose Namajunas, Rashad Evans, Justin Gaethje, who was on the show with him, along with many others. But when he was on Rogan's show, he boldly claimed that the UFC's gloves aren't just a problem that many have complained about over the years, but more shockingly, they were never even tested. Another issue that just boggles me that our equipment has never been tested. NFL, you go to any other sport league, all equipment is tested. Snowboarding. How many times are they testing stuff in other sports? I have no idea how something this important could have never been tested, and Rogan looked just about as shocked about it as we all were watching at home. Whitman then demonstrated to Rogan the various issues with the cheapness of the material. It hits that cheap foam and it bounces like crazy, but when it hits the technology foam, it stops dead in its tracks because it completely absorbs the impact. Think about it's all pretty surprising to learn for a multi-billion dollar company. It not only affects fights, but as the absorption test demonstrated, has a propensity to actually break hands. While Whitman did reveal that he already has a design superior to the UFC's that eliminates forearm and finger strain that the UFC glove currently has, his design also encourages a closed fist. Pretty important for all those eye pokes out there. Dana loved the gloves. He was, blow he was blown away by them uh, when he seen them. They wanted to own the technology because all of our stuff is patented. So the company Six that makes years. the UFC gloves wants to own your shit. Completely. They <laughs> No, no, they, they don't want to own it. The UFC wants to own it. So basically, Trevor Whitman demonstrated the poor quality of the gloves that the UFC never tested and that they aren't willing to replace unless they can actually own it themselves. So yeah, let's just hope the UFC actually replaces these gloves with better ones. If not Trevor's, something else that stands up to testing unlike apparently their gloves never stood up to. Number nine, George St. Pierre, missing time. In his UFC run, GSP was always the adult in the room, a professional among Mavericks. Shut up, you're embarrassing yourself right now. Are, are you still drunk right now? Are you still drunk? Oh, what, what, what's no. going on? Who brought an air of legitimacy to the sport. However, when he mixed it up with Rogan, we were made privy to another side of the welterweight grape. Rumor had it that George was afraid of being abducted by aliens. 
and Rogan being Rogan, there was no way he would miss his opportunity to bring that up. But you are afraid of aliens, though, right? Yeah, I'm afraid of a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know karate and I know jujitsu. So the aliens show up, I, I put a triangle choke on him, and I also have a katana. I have also a katana, a Japanese katana. So if they come, I can slice them apart. Before explaining that he'd often actually lose time with hours flashing by in what felt like seconds. I'm gonna be honest about it. Sometimes I'm I'm looking at the clock. It's like I wake up and I look at the clock right after, and it's like the clock advanced like a four hour or two hours. There's a time zone that I don't remember what happened. I don't know. I drove my car in a normal day, like going somewhere. Then I look, and it's two hour past. I feel like I had experience, mm -hmm. but I don't know what it is. So for me to say it's alien or say it's uh, the drug chemical you talk about, I right. don't know. And while the sci-fi lover might want to think that it's just aliens doing it, a more scary and logical explanation is unfortunately early signs of CTE. Even Rogan, who likes to entertain conspiracy theories, especially back then, saw it as CTE as well. Are these on hard sparring days? No. No? Just a normal day? Like it could happen every day. In another interview, he said that he felt St. Pierre's comments were the function of spending the previous 11 years taking blows to the head. I think it's head trauma. Yeah? Yeah. The way he was describing things is very similar to the way people describe things when they've experienced excessive head trauma. Moreover, after Johnny Hendricks' fight, where GSP won a controversial decision but absorbed a career record of damage, George admitted he experienced memory loss and blurred vision. It all ultimately makes you wonder whether his comments on the show were those of a man tragically suffering from an issue difficult for anyone to face. Number eight, John Jones admitting to partying before the Gus One fight. Joe Rogan himself often claims that the beauty of unedited long form media like his podcast is that it's pretty much near impossible to hide your true nature. And when it comes to John Jones, that's always been a critique. Ever since his relationship with Rashad Evans soured, he's been accused of selling a fake persona to fans. So when he appeared on the JRE, viewers were excited that perhaps the real John Jones would finally stand up. Damn it, why do you make me say this kind of stuff, Rob? Anyhow, according to Hearsay, Jones was routinely non-committal to his craft, partying on the regular into the night throughout camp, neglecting sleep for alcohol, and apparently, Yep, see Alice. Moreover, it was also said that he took his act to a new level before fighting Alexander Gustafson at UFC 165. And on the podcast, he confirmed it all, admitting that he trained heavily, but also heavily supplemented that with a lot of wild shit too. I used to, my phone used to blow up on Friday nights because everybody knew that John was going to be buying everything that people needed. Like, <laughs> I would just buy like 40 shots Patron. I, I had this thing where I just felt invincible. And uh, I did a lot of wild stuff leading up to the fight. And considering John Jones' habits, his definition of wild shit is definitely more wild than yours. As far as partying and yeah, not man, sleeping right. Mainly partying, drinking, yeah, drinking, and drinking, staying up all night. Furthermore, he explained why he did it, which for me was the most revealing takeaway from the episode. I had this crazy thing that I would do um, where I would party one week before every fight. One week before every fight, I would go out and I would get blacked out wasted. And my logic was, if this guy were to beat me somehow, I can look myself in the mirror and say that, well, I lost because I got hammered the week before the fight. So it was a built-in safety net. It was a safety net. Yeah, exactly. 
Jeez, that's some kind of competitive mindfuckery going on right there. Number seven, Chael Sonnen therapy issues. The problem with fighter interviews is that they never really want to reveal their vulnerabilities. Pretty understandable, considering the cutthroat one versus one nature of the Hurt business, but when they do, it can be incredibly fascinating. Chael Sonnen first appeared on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast a month before his rematch against Anderson Silva, and he opened up quite a bit how he went from one of the respectable fighters on the roster to a bona fide top contender, giving fans an inside look into the mind of an athlete who struggled mentally. When I finally came clean, you know, it's like being an alcoholic. Before you can get help, you gotta admit you have a problem. He explained how he had an epiphany while analyzing his professional record on Sherdog. And I'm staring at that on the computer. I'm staring at these numbers like a CEO would his spreadsheet. I've never been in a tough fight. I've never had stitches. I've never broken it. I've dominated everybody and I've lost eight fights. And I lost all of them by submission and I lost all of them in the second round. And while not totally true since he did lose a decision and dropped a couple TKOs, it was still true that his tendency to dominate before losing stood out, and the point still stands about the triangle submission in particular over his career. Nevertheless, he was convinced it was a mental block rather than something physical. So he took to a sports psychologist and tried hypnotherapy. There's something going on here and it's not physical. There's something going on that I can dominate eight minutes of a fight, seven minutes of a fight, nine minutes of a fight, and find a way out. I went and got professional help. It was a real turning point for me is when I went in, worked on sports psychology, got hypnotized. I was never the same. And while you can question the specifics of his story, let me offer you this. There's little doubt that we saw a massive change in the latter half of his career going into his second UFC stint. And perhaps this tale is just the reason. Either way, credit to an athlete for opening up that much. Number six, Ronda Rousey and Edmund Tarverdian, Joe Rogan cries. With his episode numbers well into four figures, I'm sure there's at least a few that Joe Rogan would at least like to change or have disappear. In fact, he publicly said that he regretted and was lambasted for his interview with Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, so much so that he apologized and redid the whole podcast the following month. Another episode it's probably fair to say that he regrets was the one with Ronda Rousey and her trainer Edmund Tarverdian. It frankly has aged like milk, but to be fair, this was peak Ronda Rousey. We were a month removed from her fifth UFC defense, a knockout over Betch Cohea, and Rogan certainly was not the only guilty party over hyping her. Who do you think would win in a fight, Ronda or Floyd? An well, MMA match. Uh... Sorry for you, but I'm going to have to give this one to Ronda. Oh, really? come on. Still, the episode was filled with excessive hyperbole. He basically deified Rousey as though she was the second coming of Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali, and Jesus Christ wrapped in elk meat. You fucking hit and miss. And I was like, Jesus Christ. There's a difference between like someone who's like, you know, got a decent understanding of how to throw punches to someone who looks like a fucking world champion kickboxer. Like, this is she, she crazy the shit. World. Then it all reached its crescendo when they revealed the aforementioned Kohea fight, which basically brought Joe Rogan to tears. That was the, the closest I've ever come to crying while I was in I might cry now when I was interviewing somebody. It's because it was just, it was so intense and it was also like, I really knew that I was like seeing history. It's hard. I know it's hard for you to probably talk about it because you're living it right now, but like you're you're in the middle of history. And while it actually was significant in its own way, I mean, when was the last time that you actually saw a Brazilian crowd cheer anyone that's not Brazilian? But it most certainly was not that significant. And in his defense, her status as a role model specifically for his daughters clearly contributed to his emotions. But still, this was an overblown moment if there ever was one. It was actually more revealing of the host of the show more than its participants for this entry. Number five, Joe Rogan 
Morgan's tough love retirement with Brendan Schaub. Fun fact, this moment actually happened on The Fighter and the Kid, not the JRE, so yeah, we're kind of cheating here, but it was actually shot in Joe Rogan's studio, and for that reason, many people just remember it as a JRE episode. And Rogan's actually gotten a ton of shit for this because supposedly, even though it was Callan and Schaub's idea, Schaub didn't actually know it would go in this direction. Three days before the show, Brendan Schaub was stopped with a TKO by Travis Brown. Their podcast served as a post-fight recap where he would break down what went right and what, more frankly, went wrong. He thought he was performing all right before Brown landed that uppercut that floored him. He admitted that he went out momentarily, but came to with Brown on top and back mount and landing strikes. Schaub, however, insisted that the shots were doing zero damage. It's doing zero damage. I'm not, I'm not, there's no blame on Mario Yak- Yakasami, Yamasaki. Yamasaki. The blame's on me for eating that uppercut. That's on me 100%. However, under those circumstances, I was talking to Mario, going, do not stop the fight. He's hit me in the back of the head. But Rogan proved that he's no yes man and presented his brutally honest assessment. You know, he had to stop the fight, though. The way you were flattened out like that, you were just keeping your hands up by your head. It just didn't look good. Um, You looked very stiff. You looked very stiff. You didn't look fluid. You know, it just didn't look good. It didn't look like you were well prepared admitting that they made him actually scared for his well-being in the brown fight you know i was worried about you coming into this fight i can yeah. tell you i can tell you that right now this is the reality of it i worry about your commitment to fighting and i worry about really? where you stand i think you have one foot out the door even said that compared to elite fighters brennan's skills simply didn't suffice Shab attempted to counter but joe was just frankly right about this but yeah, it's going to remain a controversial one. Number four, the reason behind Boss Rutten's retirement. I'm not sure exactly why, maybe because it was one of the first episodes on the JRE that I really got into, but Boss Rutten's initial appearance on the show is by far my favorite podcast that he's ever done. There was so much fresh here with the bar fight stories, run-ins with police, old stories about pride. There's a few that look like a, really like a yeah. one. That's one of them. You know, you've seen the ones in Pride, like, remember when Coleman fought Oh, the Kata. We knew that Coleman was going to lose in six minutes with a heel hook, right? We knew. That was the word. I heard that. So wow. when the reporters came in, they asked me, who do you think is going to win? And I say, I say, Takara's going to win in about six minutes with the heel hook. <laughs> <laughs> it's just super entertaining as an episode and hilarious to watch. But back in 2011, there wasn't much known about why Boss Rutten retired as heavyweight champion back in 1999. After all, he'd last challenged Frank Shamrock at light heavyweight and then disappeared. Of course, he would come back in a shutout performance against Ruben Villarreal, but that was seven years after the fact, and it was just for that one time. Joe Rogan simply just took the opportunity to ask him why he retired healthy and on top. You stepped away in full health. Yep. You know, how did you manage to do that? Mm, uh, not full health. My knees were very bothering me, and uh, one of the worst things that I have is tendonitis in both of my arms. And if it hits, it's about a five, 45 minute hour a pain which is unimaginable. And there's nothing you can do. You can't take pain pills for it, nothing. Realizing, okay, this is the reason that I stopped. So much pain that, yeah, you lose weight, you can't eat, you know, you get tears in your eyes from the pain. Okay, so apparently he wasn't healthy. To make matters worse, it wasn't merely the injuries, but also the way that he medicated himself to get through the pain over the years. I think that it comes from all the cortisones that I took. I was a very sick kid. Uh, bad asthma, bad eczema everywhere, and they gave me a lot of cortisones. You know, they always were afraid something was going to happen in the end. 
Number three, Big John McCarthy in the formation of MMA rules. MMA's rule set here in the United States is exactly what it looked like in the early days. Pretty much the Wild West. But despite the no-holds-barred label, UFC 1 at least had four no-nos. Biting, eye-gouging, groin strikes, which would later be unbanned before being banned again, and Ken Shamrock's boots. <laughs> they took away my shoes because they knew that if they could take away my balance, that Hoyce would have a better chance of beating me. Yeah, he said that. But due to its surprising success, more shows became a reality, and with so many situations that demanded rule changes over the years combined with political pressure, this all eventually meant that the rules had to be standardized, and thus enter the unified rules for regulation. Famed referee Big John McCarthy was heavily involved in their creation and gave us a detailed picture of what those initial meetings looked like on Rogan's show. That was back in April of 2001. What we're going to do is we're going to bring people together to create those rules. People that, you know, I think you had the Mohegan Sun as far as the Tribal Commission come down. They were part of it. New Jersey has a commission, and you had Mark Ratner on a conference call. Before Mark was working for the Nevada Mark State Athletic Commission. Mark is working Commission. for the Nevada State Athletic Commission. He's the executive director. You had Dana White, Lorenzo Fertitta, John McCarthy, Joe Silva, and Jeff Blatnick from the UFC. People from Pride. Also including the infamous illegal 12-6 elbow and how that came to be. It looks like it was one on-hand physician that was the man to drive this rule into existence. People that were really talking the most were was me, and a doctor named Dom Coletta from New Jersey. They, they tried to get rid of elbows. That was their big thing. Even in New Jersey at the time, they had Muay Thai, and so they had elbows that were allowed in this format. And it came from Gan McGee versus a guy named Brad, Gabr uh, Brad, Brad Gabriel. And Gan is taking his arm, and he's boom, 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 and he's bringing it straight down. He said, he goes, I I've I can't have that. So I've seen I've seen them break big blocks of ice like that. That's a dangerous elbow. We can't have that. Apparently, Lorenzo Fertitta thought it was a matter of just picking battles and decided to give it up. Looks at me and goes, John, let it go. It's stupid. Wow. And I go, yes, sir, boss. And I backed away from it. And so that became. So that's the twelve to six elbow. That's the twelve to six elbow. Number two, Demetrius Johnson trains part time. In 2015, DJ was already well into the all-time pound-for-pound discussion, but not much was really known about him behind the scenes. He explained how his coach Matt Hume devised a plan to transform him into a multifaceted fighting machine, practically from day one. To round out his skills, Hume not only put him into amateur MMA fights, but kickboxing, Muay Thai, boxing, and jiu-jitsu bouts. However, Johnson admitted that he didn't ever really commit to Hume's plan until he was 17 MMA fights deep. He worked a full-time job until 2011, despite Hume persistently pleading with him that he should quit in order to concentrate exclusively on his fighting career. But Johnson perpetually refused. He even fought for a world title a weight above his natural one against Dominic Cruz. The real story, however, came from him coming onto Joe Rogan's show and talking about that training schedule that was still in place after the draw against Ian McCall in the flyweight title tournament, highlighting the fact that he only trained, no joke, only twice a week. He goes, all right, Demetrius, you got to start taking this shit seriously. I was like, what do you mean? Like, we're in the UFC. I just fought for a world title at, you know, against Dominic Cruz. He goes, dude, you only train with me twice a week. When's, uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays. So like, you're only training with me two days a week. Like, you need to take this shit seriously. When people are professional athletes, they come, they leave their families and move away and train with the, the trainer. That's why you saw a huge change in my game from the second Ian McCall fight because I started training underneath him. Wow. 
But after his heart to heart with Hume, he finally changed his approach. And in turn, he went on a record-breaking flyweight title run where he still holds the record for the most consecutive title defenses. And number one, Inton Inouye, Pride doesn't care about steroids. There are copious differences between modern MMA and the era when Japan ruled the world. And it's their official to athletes but under wraps to the public stance on PED usage that has to be the biggest difference of all. These days, the UFC promotes a no tolerance policy in regards to PEDs, so much so that they actually pay for USADA, an independent body, to test their fighters year round at an Olympic level. But in the Pride days, as Incident in a way illustrated to Rogan in 2014, things were much, much different. Pride not only didn't test for any of that stuff, but they actually made sure that they included a clause in every fighter's contract that confirmed in black and white print that they would not test for steroids. In Pride, did they test you at all in Pride? No, they had a, I mean, yeah, you didn't know that they had a clause in the contract? The test for weed, the test for cocaine, they had a whole list. And not only did, did the steroids not, wasn't on that list, they had a sentence after that saying, we do not test for steroids. Wow. Yeah, so it was, it was kind of crazy. In a way, later released a picture of his contract. Rogan then also shared his own story about Pride's affinity for PEDs. Jason Chambers, you know, Jason Chambers, he was uh, that show uh, Human Weapon. He, they were trying to get him to fight in Pride, and they wanted him to fight at 185. And uh, he was like, but I weigh 170. Steroids. And they were telling him oh. to do steroids. And he was like, what? <laughs> they were telling him. You could say that this all explains a lot, but let's be real. We basically all knew just by looking at some of the athletes. And guys, I'm beyond, beyond excited to share with you our sponsor for today. That is Caveman Coffee. They offer incredible drinks, great taste, great value. We're talking about keto-friendly, so there is no sugar in this stuff. We're also talking about very low calories. Their herbal tea only has six calories in it. And especially my favorite, the Nitro Cold Brew. It's about as simple and as lightweight as you can get, and it's got the equivalent of three espresso shots in here. So if you're looking for energy, you're definitely gonna get it here. Same with the vanilla if you want a little bit more taste. Like I said, none of this stuff has sugar, so it's clean energy. They're offering 25% off. Just go to cavemancoffeecode.com and enter point at checkout to receive that discount. Links are in the description. These guys are gonna open up doors and opportunities for us. We're talking about trying to build a studio between me and Tom to support them because they support us. And like I said, I'm just incredibly excited about these guys. They're amazing. So hit them up, go to Caveman Coffee, save your 25% off and much appreciated for watching today's video. That being said, I'd also like to give a shout out to our writer. That is Rob Palin. You can follow him on Twitter at the Robert Palin. And then of course, Ben Rosette, whose music we used in the intro. You can follow him at Twitter at Ben Rosette or Instagram, and you can check out his music wherever music is sold. We've got links in the description for all that. Thanks for watching my list, guys. If you enjoyed the video, subscribe and like. We upload at least three videos per week about MMA and it really helps us out when you do so. If I missed anything on this vid let me know in the comments and feel free to follow me on Twitter at JasonTheHeart or follow the official channel account at OnPointMMA. Thanks for watching so much and I'll catch you on the next video. Hey!